This is Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 106, Learn in Business, How to Know What You Don't Know, with our guest, Lance Miller. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin, and we have yet another exciting episode today. I know I say that every time, but I am totally excited about all of these episodes. Our guest today is a not a newcomer to Toastcaster. He's a regular. He's also been on the Toastmasters podcast. He's a world-renowned keynote speaker, trainer, coach, and author. And we all know him as the world champion of public speaking for 2005. He's none other than Lance Miller. Lance has, of course, been instrumental in building his home club, Renaissance Speakers, to 95 members to become number four in the world. Lance Miller, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Greg, it's bad. good to be back with you again. I feel like I'm coming home. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since we've spoken. In fact, it was great to see you when you visited our district last year. And instead of sitting and having a chat, we actually walked across the bridge. Instead of sitting and having a chat, we sat and had breakfast and coffee and then went for a walk. So that was great. Uh, thank you in helping me continue my 10K a day addiction. I am now at 523 days. Wow. Congratulations. Lance, people know you as we discussed in your introduction, as, as I mentioned in your introduction, but what they don't know you is that you are also a very successful businessman. You've completed five successful new business startups. You've had over two dozen new product and service launches. But in a recent newsletter, and I do subscribe to your newsletter that you emailed recently, you also mentioned that you said, I can easily count at least 12 failed startups, business turnarounds, and product service launches. What I'd like to talk with you about today is let's look at some of those failed startups. Now, not to dwell on the negative, but from your emails, it sounds like you've come up with a magic pill, or maybe I would call it a prescription. You actually call it a factor, something that you'd need to keep in the back of your mind, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about life, and something that you've actually put into practice into your latest venture. And of course, I think people will be interested in hearing about it later. Can you maybe perhaps share a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, it's like I try to, anything I do, I try to evaluate, well, why did that work? Why didn't it work? And it's really easy in the world and in life to try things and have them not work out and then get down on yourself and go, I'm, I'm, I'm incapable. I'm incompetent. I'm stupid. I need to go, you know, get a job at a self-serve gas station, sitting in a booth, taking credit cards or something. You know, that's, that's the scope of what I can do in life. And I've been through, I've been on those roller coasters, Greg's, where you, you try something and it didn't work out and it was financially devastating. It's humiliating. And, you know, you, the whole idea of your self-esteem is, seems to be completely challenged. But I have had, for whatever reason, I've been able to dust myself off and pick myself up and, you know, take another step the next day. And when I look back on my life, some of those failures and some of those bad business situations I got in were some of the most meaningful. But I actually want to go back to the first startup that I ever did. And this was with my my family and my my father had started it. And I grew up in central Indiana in a small rural farming community. My family had a milk and ice cream business. And I say it that way, we didn't own cattle. We processed milk and we made ice cream. We had a chain of convenience stores, restaurants. And we couldn't get ice for our convenience stores in the summertime because the local ice company 
the their ice machines kept breaking down and they couldn't service the community. Oh, no. And I mean, the community was several counties. It wasn't just like my community. So my dad went, went over one time with our maintenance crew and said, well, let me fix your ice machines. And I just want the first ice out of it. And he looked at the plant and he goes, holy smokes, this thing is terrible. So we decided to go in the ice business or he did. And I was just getting out of college at that point. About a year out of college, we launched Interstate Ice, which was the name of our ice company. And we were going to put 10 pounds of ice in a bag and go sell it. We had studied the market for four years. We'd gone to the national ice conventions. I'd, I had toured probably 15 ice plants. We were in the food business. We knew how to distribute food, how to process, you know, and then keep perishable products safe. We knew this area. So when we were going to put 10 pounds of ice in a bag and go sell it, we thought it was like, this is a piece of cake. Well, we went out and we sold some accounts at 10, ba- 10 pounds and went to some big supermarkets. And they said, we don't want a 10-pound bag. We want a 7-pound bag. And our response was... We'll sell you a 10-pound, the same price we sell you as a 7-pound. And they came back and they go, you don't understand. I can get more inventory turns out of that cubic foot of space in my store with a 7-pound bag than I can a 10. I don't want – I want more profit out of that ice chest. Give me 7 or don't give me your business. We started making 7-pound bags. Then we went out to the bars and the restaurants and we to sell them ice and they said, we want a 15-pound bag. We said, we'll sell you two 10s the same as a 15. And they go, you don't understand. When we're busy on a Friday night, I don't want to be back behind the bar ripping bags open. I want to dump the bag and get in, in the ice bin and start serving drinks again. Give me a 15 or don't give me your business. We started making 15-pound bags. And then we went down to the reservoir and they said they wanted block ice. And block ice and you know, bagged ice are two different things. We had to put in block ice. And then we went through eight material handling systems to figure out how to move the bag of ice onto the truck and into the store without tearing it up. We had wrong ice machines. We had to put a whole new ice machines in the plant because the machines we we bought made a flat ice, which when it got wet, it stuck together and it turned your bag of ice into a block of ice. And we made the, we got what was called, it's, it's a machine called the Vote, V-O-G-T, and made in Louisville, Kentucky, but it makes round ice. And when it, the round pieces don't stick together, so the ice stays, we learned, we thought we knew everything going into that business. And what we did, when we started it, we discovered what we didn't know about the business. And that became sort of the mantra that, and that was what I discussed in that newsletter is, I've done a number of startups and the mistake a number of times I've made, and I learned it at 22, 23 years old, you go out and discover what you don't know. And I just recently am launching, I launched my first uh, online summit, which is a world champion speakers online summit. And I've got a team of three partners. Now there's four of us that launched that. I got a, a phenomenal IT team and stuff. And we launched and I looked at everybody. We've all been through startups. I said, hey, we're going to flip the switch on this and we're going to discover what we don't know. And there's been a lot we haven't known. But the nice thing is you sort of have negative emotions and positive emotions. And it's it's really easy to get into the negative emotion band of anger, frustration, apathy, fear, disgust. Those are your negative ones. But staying, you know, cheerful, enthusiastic, interested, those are your positive emotions. My team, all of us, even though we've had some crazy things happen with the launch of this first summit, we've all been, hey, we figured out something else we didn't know. And we sort of relish and have excitement when we figure out that there was something we didn't know. We fixed it. We now know it. We're now smarter than we were yesterday and really rejoicing in the fact that we're discovering the problems and fixing them rather than becoming depressed and frustrated over the fact that we hit a problem we didn't predict. And that to me is sort of the hidden factor when I've seen uh, new company startups 
product launches, anything. We're, we're in a dynamic, fluid environment. Life is not a static such a system. It's changing all the time, and you have to be able to adjust to it. And things come up every day that you don't expect. And it's it's embrace those changes rather than resist them. And that's that's really the the crux of what what I've learned, and I wish I would have learned it and embraced it and acknowledged it a lot earlier in life. It took me a few years to to totally ride that horse, but I I don't get thrown off anymore. It's almost like a chicken and egg situation. How can you discover what you don't know without having to necessarily go through all the trials and tribulations like you went through with the ice, right? The seven pound bags, the 15 pound bags. Of course, if you're in Canada, you'd have to do it in kilograms. Exactly. Are there any ways, any tips or tricks that you don't have to go through all the pain and torture. Yeah, there's a couple there's a couple fundamental things I stick with in life. Either you can go out, there's like two ways to get an education. You can go pay somebody to give you the education or you can go pay for your mistakes and get the education. Bottom line, Greg, you're paying one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> As an example, let's just look at what I did on my online summits. I hired one of the top consultants in the world on online summits, okay? I didn't just go, let's just figure this out. No, I hired somebody who really understood it, who's done, I don't know, scores of these things, has helped a lot of people. And he was, a tr- he was tremendous in allowing us to see how to build it, put the, put the IT infrastructure together on it. I studied a lot of different online summits. But until you flip the switch, and this is a simplicity, you can look at what other people do, but you don't know what they went through to, to do it. You don't know what problems they had, what systems they had to put in to actually get certain interfaces to communicate correctly and you know what marketing worked what marketing didn't work you don't know how many failures were behind seeing the simplicity of their success you know and so and when i sit down and talk with people and it's interesting but since i've even since i've launched this i'm in the national speakers association too i've talked to some people who have been very successful with online summits and we've had some very just down to earth candid over coffee or a beer type conversations. Uh, and, and they told me exactly that they, what I've gone through is exactly what they went through. But the only way I could go through it without just hiring somebody else to do it, which is not one of what I wanted to do was, and I want to discuss that specific point was to experience it myself. And the thing I was interested in was in owning the knowledge and owning the expertise myself and not having somebody else own that knowledge and own that expertise. And one of the, the fundamental things I live my life by, it, this took me years to actually embrace, but it's an old saying, and it's that good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of experience comes from bad judgment. Everybody chuckles when I say it, but one of the smartest guys I knew was back when I was working for my family's business was a guy named Oscar, and he was a real mentor to me when I was in my formative years. Oscar graduated from about the eighth grade, but he'd worked himself up to be a senior manager in our company. He had a way of looking at what he experienced every day and figuring out what he learned that day he could apply to the next day. And he was one of the smartest guys I knew because he taught me so much about life and dealing with people because it wasn't out of books. It was about he made the mistake himself, but he learned from the mistake himself. And so that's what I've tried to embrace, especially my second half of my life. My first half of my life was going out thinking I knew it all (laughs) (laughs) and running into things, getting ticked off and upset and blaming other people for my failures and all that. And then I decided to, 
I got a, I got enough lessons in humility. I decided to dust myself off and figure it out for myself, which uh, which is which is really where the success part came from. And I, I really think that concept right there is figuring out for yourself and not just doing what somebody else says. That's what brings innovation. That's what brings new ideas out. Is that the guy who sits down and goes, well, I don't know, let's try this, and it worked. Okay, so I'm taking away from what you're saying and kind of in reverse order is that one way of doing, one way of learning or one way of discovering what you don't know, obviously, is to learn through the school of hard knocks. Another one would be to not necessarily look at what others do. So, for example, if you went to the grocery store and you saw the grocery had ice, not only look for the fact that, hey, well, maybe the ice packages are different sizes that you are offering, but maybe understand why they're doing what they're doing, understanding why they have that particular size of ice, even though it may not make sense, even though it's a better deal offering them, you know, two tens for the price of a 15 or something like that. And the third one, if I'm getting this correctly, is don't necessarily be afraid to look for help, right? You're talking about your new venture. And of course, we're going to give you an opportunity to tell us some more about it. But you brought in help to work on the areas that you weren't necessarily knowledgeable in or that you felt you didn't have the expertise. Maybe you're your time could be spent elsewhere. Sometimes, like you said, people figure they know it all or, oh, I'm a startup. I can't afford to bring in extra help. I can't afford to hire outside person. I'm going to do it all myself. So this is my takeaway from what we're saying in terms of being able to discover, being able to now discover what we don't know. Exactly. And one of the things is to first acknowledge that there's stuff you don't know. And that's a missing step a lot of people don't take. They don't just simply go, okay, this is what I know. And they, they don't go, there's a whole other pocket over here that I am going to learn. I mean, even winning the world championship, you win the world championship. I, you know, like I said, I was the guy that was sort of like the dog that caught the car. Uh, and I say that because I, I grew up in a small town and they, everybody had their dogs out in the yards and they chased the cars down the street. And we used to say, well, what would happen if the dog caught the car? And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got the bumper. What do I do now? I'm, uh, I'm heading up the what's called the National Speakers Association Academy in my Los Angeles chapter, which is training young speakers on how to speak. And we just had a whole Zoom call on contracts and accounting and corporate setup and stuff. And we were going through the contracts and they were saying, well, how do you handle your travel? And I said, well, when I first started, I paid for everything and I wound up with $6,000 on credit cards. I was floating for two and three months and I forgot to collect it. And so you know, I, I go, I wound up paying the first year I was a world champion. I probably paid three or $4,000 in fees I shouldn't have paid because I forgot to collect them and I didn't have systems in. And so I said, okay, now whoever flies me in, and this is corporately innovate, pays. But, and then I got booked on crazy flights and I went, okay, I, I need to approve the flights. And so now I have a thing that I will approve the flights or send the flights to you, but you still pay for it because I don't want it on my credit card. So what, what did I, I didn't, in the beginning, I didn't think, I really didn't look at that and go, oh, there's stuff I didn't know. I just did it. And then all of a sudden you wind up with a negative situation. So you have to acknowledge that I'm going to now discover what I don't know and embrace it with as much excitement as you do the success of your venture. And 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 that's what I said when we, we had my team together, and fortunately, the, the three guys I'm working with now, we've all been through startups. We've all, we're all very well seasoned. I call ourselves like the A team for anybody's C team. There's, there's probably no business we can't turn around or expand, and uh, we're the special forces of management. And we, we all got together, and I said, okay, we're going to flip it. We flipped the switch on this, and I looked at them, and we all looked, I said, we're going to discover what we don't know. And we all had big smiles on our face, and we turned that thing on, and we started discovering what we didn't know. And it was just, okay, cool. There's something else. There's something else. It was actually done with excitement rather than fear and trepidation. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people fear the unknown. I know in your newsletter you were talking about that you welcomed what you discovered rather than resisted. Because I think some people, when they go to a place, it's that they got they have an expertise in a certain area, they're starting a new business. Oh yeah, we can do this, and then all of a sudden they start uncovering things that they don't know, and they go, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't go any further. This yeah. isn't what I signed up for." And they have a tendency of wanting to resist rather than embrace. And what happens, see, the flip side of that in my life, if I didn't excitedly go, I'm going to discover what I don't know and actually create a personal excitement or interest in that, it started to become, it would reflect that I didn't know something, therefore I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not able, I'm not competent. And all the negative emotions, the negative voices in your head start talking to you. And yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm as normal as the next guy is. I got you know, get up in the morning and sometimes what have I done with my life, you know, and then you get going and you brush your teeth and you go, well, I got all my teeth. It can't be that bad. You know, what what I've learned to do is when things go, that things don't go right. And I've learned that the best lessons I have ever learned have been from really failures. And when I didn't, when things didn't go right now, I think you have to have enough success in your life to keep you going because if all you experience in failure, if all you experience in life is failures, it's it can be a, a dismal existence. You need enough winning and success in life to keep your twinkle in your eye and the spring in your step. But you also have to look at when things didn't go right. What did you learn? What can you gain from that? And then you become smarter with every day you live versus becoming more embittered toward life every day you live. Yeah, it's hard to see the sunshine when you're zero and ten, right? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the and I can't, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. There's a, a gentleman I met with the National Speakers Association that was playing for the professional basketball player for the Utah Jazz. And he said when he joined the team, and this was, I think, back in the 80s or something, they were losing like every game by 20 points. And he said the coach goes, <laughs> now imagine this. Imagine a professional basketball team. The coach goes, let's see if we can just lose by 10 points today. <laughs> and so he says their first goal was to lose games by 10 points. And then he goes, they celebrated when they lost the game by 10 points. <laughs> then he goes, let's see if we can lose by five. And then he got to, let's, let's lose the game by five points. And he said they turned it around by actually losing less rather than winning more. And it's a great lesson. You know, it's a, it's a great lesson in life. It's like, hey, you know, it's going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, it's too funny. I used to play years ago. I used to play racquetball with a friend of mine and he would always be whipping my butt, always whip my butt. And the one thing I realized was that in the last game, I'd always do much better. What I did is I basically got whipped the first two games and I just let him, let him run, let him run, let him run. I kept all my energy. And then after a period of time, third game, I just put on all the energy and I actually beat him. <laughs> Wow. wow. Which is absolutely amazing because, I mean, this guy was just a phenomenal athlete. You know, I, I want to, there's a story that just came to mind I want to share with you and share with the audience. I grew up, as I grew up in the milk and ice cream business. And since I was 10 years old, I was dipping ice cream and I was working in the plant, freezing ice cream, loading trucks, picking up milk on the farm. I was, I started driving milk trucks when I was 16 years old. I was 19. I was training people who were 40 years old how to, how to run milk routes. I knew the ice cream business and the milk business fairly well for my age. And I was at the National uh, Milk and Dairy Convention, and there there was this big hubbub that there wasn't a national ice cream. And when they, they the major companies, the General Foods and the Nestle's and uh, of, of the world, had done this big study, 
and there wasn't a nationally favorite ice cream. When they did the study, everybody liked their local creamery or their local dairy. That's what they liked to go get their local brand of ice cream. And so these large companies wound up deciding that they had done this big study and they were going to go out and launch national ice cream. Now, I moved to L.A. in 1984, and I worked for the L.A. Olympic Organizing Committee, putting on the Olympics in 84 uh, as an executive in the transportation department. And that was phenomenal. That was a phenomenal experience. I would have done that for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, the games don't last for the rest of your life. And I wound up going to Nestle in brand management after that. And I thought they'd put me in the ice cream or the dairy area because that's where I had my expertise. But I wasn't. I was in the instant division with instant breakfast. And I did a product launch with sugar for instant breakfast while I was there. But what was funny was that they decided that they were going to go out and you have all these MBAs in there and stuff. And they're going to go out and they, they were launching, uh, what was it? Bonbon, some other ice cream, and they're going to go out and they're going to take the market and they're going to beat all these little companies. And I can remember sitting in meetings and, and the, the reports are coming back from the field and they go, we can't believe it. We went in the stores and we tried to put our ice cream in the ice cream case in the supermarket. And the dairy said, you can't put your ice cream in that ice cream case because we own the case. And when they did their study, they didn't realize that all these little dairies like my family had, we provided the ice cream cases and the milk cases for the supermarkets. That meant only our product went in those cases. And so here are these major Fortune 50 companies that did this huge rollout. They're going to take the market and take over all these little companies that don't have the wherewithal that they do. And they never, they never discovered who owned the case. And it was a, it was a huge discussion point. And I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, everybody knows that. <laughs> you know, you have a country supermarket. You go in and you want to pick up that supermarket. You're putting milk and ice cream cases in that supermarket for the grocer because the other dairy probably owns them because they provided them for it. And it was just another classic example of thinking you could roll this whole thing out and not knowing what you didn't know and not taking the viewpoint. There was a viewpoint, at least what I experienced at that level, that they thought they already knew it all. They're going to roll it out and be a success. That's a major issue. If you don't have a spot to put a frozen food in a supermarket, your food melts. So uh, <laughs> just another lesson learned. Yeah, they might have been able to discover what they didn't know by asking a question, even exactly. if it seems like a really stupid question at the time, like, who owns the freezers? Yeah, nobody even thought to ask that question. I, I'm a big proponent of having a good network of people, whether it's a mastermind group you belong to, but I think having a good network of peers that you can talk to in an area so you know what's going on. And I'm fortunate, really, one probably one of the biggest assets I've had in my life has just been a, a wealth of good people that I have contact with. And I can call people up on the phone and I don't have to pay. I was just talking to a guy who pays $30,000 a year for a mastermind group. That's great. I'm, th I'm thrilled he's got 30000 a year to put in a mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of Big Macs, as I like to say. And you got to make sure you're getting your, your pay for it. I, I usually will try to find people through the work I do. And, and I also, I, I'm very community oriented and I work with a lot of nonprofits and I spend a lot of time. I probably spend, in all fairness, well over $30,000 a year in helping other organizations that don't have the, that money to succeed. And working on those boards, I get to work with top industry leaders in the Los Angeles community. And that's one of the reasons, that's my payback, is that I have 
peer contact with some phenomenal people. And so that's one of the things, too, is like asking people, we're going in this area, who should I talk to? What have you experienced? Just getting insight into people that have, that have been successful in their endeavors. There's nobody that I've ever met that has been really successful and hasn't taken the teeth you know, a dozen times on their road to success. And there's so many people that I see starting out that something didn't work out and they're devastated and they wanted to be successful like the other guy, but they didn't realize that that other guy, you know, got thrown off the horse or fell off his bike a ton of times in order to ride the horse or ride the bike. And they, they, you have to be able to endure that. But having lived a few decades of life at this point, really what it comes down to, the simple thing about I'm going to ride a bike and I'm going to discover what I don't know. Don't turn sharp on what leaves. You know, that's a good thing not to know when you're riding a bike. And sometimes the only way you learn that lesson is by making a turn on wet leaves and watching your wheels slide up from underneath you. Been there, done that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> still have, have the bruises and the scars. Well, maybe the bruises have healed, but I probably <laughs> still have the scars. <laughs> now, you've yeah. taken your philosophy of discovering what you don't know, and you've applied it to this phenomenal new product that you're just, just releasing right now. Please share with us what that's about and how they can participate. Sure. Well, one one of the things that I have wanted to do was utilize my knowledge base and experience on a broader scale without also there's I'm going to share something. There's something called the Frankenstein effect, and that's where you create something that consumes you. (laughs) (laughs) And I've seen this in business quite a bit where somebody starts a business and then all of a sudden this business is so big that they don't have a life uh, all, you know, they're working you know, eight days a week, 15 hours a day, trying to keep the business going. And I'm going, how can I leverage the knowledge base that I have and the experience that I have on a broader scale and keep it under control? And so uh, I was looking at that. And of course, with the gig economy online, there's there's some good ways to do that. And just to that, I one of the things I realized that I didn't know, I, I'm okay with technology, but I'm not a master at it. So I went to a friend of mine I'd known for a number of years uh, who was retired. And I uh, said, I need a, I need an IT partner. I need someone. I don't want to figure out how to put an affiliate link in an email. I need someone that can do that for me. I don't want to put my, I don't want to spend my time trying to do that. And he was like, good. He needed, some, you know, he was, he had plenty of time and it was just being my partner would be give him something to do. And he was a master at computer technology and stuff. So I brought, you know, I brought him in as an IT partner. And as I said, I have a couple other partners. But what I've recently launched is a, is a relatively new concept on the internet, which is called an online summit or a virtual summit. If you go to a summit, you usually will go away for a weekend and there'll be a, a series of experts that you get to listen to and interact with. And what this is, is a series of experts in a specific area of knowledge or product expertise that you interview. And so you interview and then they're available to people to watch online. And a big thing I want to do is bring knowledge and change to people, bring transformational information that can help them be more successful in life. And how can I do that on a broader scale without having to get on airplanes and, you know, be in the air 30 weeks a year like I've, I've done in the past. So I, I have, I'm building out and I've launched my first online summit. And the first thing I did was I looked at the world championship of public speaking with Toastmasters and I realize there are world champions I've never met, but every world champion I've met, we have 
had such an incredible time sharing our stories. And I've learned so much from these other guys, even as a peer, as a, as a fellow world champion, I've learned so much from their experience. So I decided to sit down and I've interviewed 25. I have my, I, I've, I'm discovering world champions I didn't know existed, Greg. <laughs> I, I'd gone back to 1989, and that's as far as I could go. And I'm doing Harold Patterson, the 1987 world champion. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to add him to the, to the mix. And then uh, I, I don't have his name. I think it's Johnny Um or something like that, who's 78. I actually am getting back to 78. Somebody wrote me and said, hey, there's this guy. you got to find him. And he's the 1978 world champion. So to go back that far, but I've spent an hour to an hour and a half interviewing each world champion about their journey, about how they got involved with Toastmasters, what they struggled with, what they found successful, how did they pick their speech topics, how did they practice and prepare, what was their path to the world championship, and what I have really discovered in this is that there's not a clear path to the world championship. Everybody had their own. It's sort of like we all walked out. We all walked the same road, but we all had our own journey, and I'm, I was amazed. I thought we were going to come down with, yeah, that's exactly what I did. You know, I worked really hard and I, I competed for a number of years and I went to 35 clubs and I practiced my speech 200 times like I did. No, there were guys that just won it the first year when they came out because they were had that much dynamic life energy in them. And there were other people like Jock Elliott that competed for over 30 years before he finally won, went to the finals six times. Everybody had their unique path. But what it is, it's a tremendous treasure trove of inspiration and knowledge and experience that anybody can listen to. And with that, I've got a free version of it. Just see the website is WC for World Champion, speakerssummit.com. And there's a free version where you can listen to everybody on a limited basis. There's an up, upgrade. If you act immediately for $49, you get 24-7 access. You get 25 years of world champion, top three world champion speeches uh, for 25 years. And you get 10 hours of audio lessons from the different world champions that have given me audio lessons they want to share with people. So it's a huge value. It's like an $800 value for $49 if you do it. And the full price is $99, but you, you get a chance to buy it for $49. Like I said, I'm trying to make it a just something that people can get easily, but it also allows me to continue to put it out. Here's the bottom line. This was my pilot, just so you know. I piloted the world champions, and I have learned a tremendous amount of what I didn't know in launching this world championship. And trust me, I've had plenty of people write to me and tell me there were things I didn't know <laughs> because the system wasn't working like it was. And I'm thankful for all those Toastmasters that were patient and allowed us to work the kinks out of launching this. I have already slated over 60 online summits to bring out in specific areas of knowledge and expertise so people can benefit from those. And uh, I have another website I'm launching that deals completely with financial competence and training people on the basics of finances and how to invest properly and save their money. That's going to expand into executive competence, communicating competence, meeting competence, all different areas of being competent at living and, and interacting with people uh, along that line. That's sort of the vein I'm going and I'm still going out and speaking quite a bit. But I, I want to reach more people and have a bigger impact in the world. And I now have a great team around me. And every day we sit down and chalk up what we don't know. I'm curious on one thing. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Out of all the interviews that you've done recently, it sounds like you've done hundreds of them. What's one thing that you've learned? I think I'm going to combine this because it sort of goes hand in hand. Authenticity was something I think every single world champion 
had to find in themselves. They had to find their message. A lot of us, myself included, struggled with messages that we thought that the audience would find important. But when we finally really discussed the messages that we felt were important is when our speaking took off. And the other one was having fun. It was about the fun. It wasn't about the plastic trophy. It was about the fun, the authenticity, you know, and and, and a true sense that really wanted to help somebody. So it's hard to just combine that. But I think you combine There's probably somebody that can take those three points and combine it into one point. But it's just, you know, you had a message that was authentic that you really wanted to share with the world and you were having fun giving it to the world. That's when things took off. That is something I think that we all struggle with. I teach that in a lot of the seminars on how to reignite your own personal creativity uh, and find your messages because those are the most powerful messages because they are yours. You look at how we grow up, Greg, where we mimic our parents. You know, when we're kids, we're sort of being told what to do by our parents, and we learn that life's a lot more enjoyable if we do what we're told. <laughs> and we go, <laughs> yeah. we go to school, and we're told where to sit, what time. We're told what to study. We're told what to spit back out on the test. And if we do what we're told, we get to go to the next grade. We show up for work. We're told where to sit at what time. We're told what to do. And if we do what we're told, we get to keep our job. And at some point, somebody will come along and they say, you know, we should have liked you. We're going to promote you now. But it wasn't like we went, I'm going to go for the promotion. What happens is through that process, we wind up killing our creativity because the successful actions in life we learn are to do what we're told. And it's reigniting that creativity and reigniting that personal insight and what we've learned that starts to separate out an individual who's truly cutting their own path through life versus on the the road that everybody's walking. And what I've seen with the world champions is there was something that occurred they found either in Toastmasters through the world champion competition or outside of it where they were able to access their authenticity and their own viewpoint. And that's where things took off. Most of the speeches from my perspective, if you really dig deep down and you really listen to what's being said, it's just very simple lessons in life, but they're just put into a perspective that you can relate to. I said the powers and the simplicity. And here's one of the key points. I just had a coaching call last night. I was on with a young lady who has a phenomenal story. I get these people that call me and they want to go over their story and they, you know, like they beat cancer, right? And I said, well, it's not about beating cancer. And they go, what are you talking about? I had a tumor. I said, I understand that. And I'm sure that you're relieved. First of all, when you say can, I've done this in front of audience. I said, I said, you say the word cancer. How many people in the audience have, not you, but have somebody close to you that's had cancer? And all the hands go up. And I say, how many people in the audience have lost somebody close to you who's had cancer? And 70% of the hands go up. I said, you say cancer and how you beat it, and you're talking to an audience who lost someone they love to cancer. Okay, so that's a problem right there. But it's really not about the cancer. It's about how did you overcome what seemed to be an insurmountable barrier in your life. And it could have been cancer. It could have been an abusive relationship. It could have been being fired and bankrupt. But what did you find in yourself that allowed you to overcome what you thought was greater than yourself? And that's where the message is. It's on, it's on the assault side of the cancer. It's not about the cancer. And so many people talk about the experience, not what did they find in themselves. When you tap into what you found in yourself, that's a very simple, powerful message that everybody, anybody can uh, apply to what their insurmountable barriers 
is in their life. And we all have an insurmountable barrier or 50 of them. So you help people figure out a way to succeed better in life. That's where the message sits. The power is in the simplicity. It's not about the cancer. It's not about being wrongly incarcerated for murder for 15 years or something like that. It's, it's, it's about how did you overcome that? And that's where the message is. And that's usually, it's usually a simple, powerful message that everybody can respond to. Yeah, so it's not about the ice. It's not about finding <laughs> the right size bag of ice. It's about the process you go through to determine what type of product, what kind of ice, and what size of ice you need. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that ice story, I got to tell you, that I always say that's where I got my MBA. I, I, don't, I don't have an MBA, but I have extensive business experience. And I'll put myself toe-to-toe with any MBA in the world because I've actually been on the on in the street, on the ground, running the businesses, making them work. And there's a huge thing that MBAs, there's not, you're going to hear me rant about this for a second. They don't get involved, and they're great on uh, financial projections and things like that. They're not good on the how to get people to work together. And the biggest lack or wasted natural resource to me in the world is the untapped potential sitting inside every human being. And when you bring a group together to work together, how can you tap that potential and have them come to work and be excited? Coming to work is the best part of their day. It's not, I'm enduring it so I can pay my bills. And I say that was, I've had, I had a lot of jobs for a lot of time, a lot, a lot of years that I was enduring the job so I could pay my bills. And what I'm, what I have worked on for the last 20 years was creating places of work that people love to come to work, would win at. They were they achieved more success at work than they ever thought possible. And I've done that in nonprofits and profits and startups. And, you know, it's just that, that attitude of, you know, you are phenomenal. We're glad to have you. You're capable. And there's stuff you don't know. And we're going to discover what you don't know and make you a better person. And it just all comes back to those same basics. We've covered a lot of ground today. I'm sure that there are things that people discovered that they didn't know in our session here today. What's the best way for someone to get a hold of you, Lance? My website is Lance Miller Speaks. Yeah, very simple, LanceMillerSpeaks.com. And you can go there. There's a form you can fill out if you want to send something to me. My email, it's very easy. It's Lance at LanceMillerSpeaks.com. Check out the summit. If, if you're in Toastmasters, check out the WC Speakers Summit, worldchampionspeakersummit.com. I am getting nothing. I will, I will say we did have some technical issues. They weren't bad. We had a lot of technical issues getting the kinks worked out of it. But I've probably had 300 people write me and say this is the most incredible thing that they've ever seen. And they're so thankful that I took the time to put it together. And it's been just to get that launch, Greg, it's been six months of work. It's not like I sat down and it was two weeks. Now, it was six months of concerted work with a team of four people to put that thing together. That meant just another lesson learned. Lance Miller, it's been an absolute pleasure. Always, Greg. Always. Thank you. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, 
This short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.